Hey there, welcome back to the Aurelius Podcast. I'm Zach Naylor, co-founder and CEO here at Aurelius, and your host for the show. We had an energetic and informative conversation this time with Jim Callback. Jim is the head of customer experience at Mural. Now that title isn't exactly what you might think it is. At Mural, customer success has little to do with actual product design and development. In fact, Jim spends most of his time working between the business, marketing, and product to ensure that their customers are getting connected and being successful with their product. Jim and I talked about his background, which is very much in UX product design and research, and how that led him into his current role. We heard from him about what some of the differences are between user experience, customer experience, and marketing. From there, we touched on a frequent topic for me, certainly, and for our show here at Aurelius of design and business. Jim's perspective is that UX design needs to be more open-minded when working with the business to become a more successful and effective designer or design leader. He shares with us some very useful tips on how to do this that are straight from his own experience in his impressive career. If you're someone who finds yourself trying to figure out how to make design more respected and prominent in your organization, you're gonna to wanna to make sure you listen to this episode. As I said, Jim works at Mural, which is a digital whiteboard solution. Because of that, we talked a bit about how a lot of the work we do in product, UX, and research is going digital. Many teams are no longer relying on physical or in-person ways of doing this work. We're seeing this happen in research too, which is why we built our very own product, Aurelius. If you're looking to create a user research repository or database to store all of your key insights or nuggets and get the most out of what you learn from research, we'd love to hear what you think about Aurelius. You can check it out for a 14-day free trial over at our website. That's AureliusLab.com, www.aureliuslab.com. Okay, here we go with Jim Callback. Welcome to the Aurelius Podcast, episode 28 with Jim Callback, designer, author, and instructor. He wrote the book Mapping Experiences and is head of customer experience at Mural. Jim, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yes, of course. It's, uh, it's definitely our pleasure. Um, you know, let's just let's jump in a little bit and talk with, you know, the folks listening. If they don't know who you are and they're not familiar with your work, maybe tell us a little bit about what you've been doing recently and, and sort of the things that you're focused on. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm the head of customer experience at Mural. Um, that's uh, mural.co, um, which is one of the leading uh, online whiteboards. Um, so it's a solution, it's a tool that, that lets you collaborate visually uh, online, uh, in the cloud, right through your browser. And you can uh, think about doing all kinds of design work and creative work and research um, uh, with teams that are distributed. So it kind of solves that problem. How do you have a you know, viable design thinking workshop or how do you do a remote design sprint? <clears throat> and you want to work with sticky notes and be visual, um, we kind of fill that gap. Um, but prior to that, I actually have a background in uh, digital product design. I've had various roles, both internal and external for agencies, <clears throat> more information architecture, and then a little bit of interaction design focus, but a lot of user research as well, too. So I've always done um, everything you know, from usability testing to uh, ethnographic-like uh, contextual inquiry interviews and things like that as well, too. Uh, for the past about about the past twenty years, so um, you know, it was in Razorfish in the in the late '90s, and you know, the agency boom of the of the late '90s, and then dot com crash, and 
you know, survived all of that as well, too. So I have a, a, a varied experience, but mostly with online digital product. Nice, nice. Well, tell us a little bit more about what you're doing then, you know, as head of customer experience at Mural. You know, some folks maybe haven't had, uh, haven't had the chance to hold that kind of role. I mean, how is that different for you? Um, as opposed to being like what you might call an individual contributor or something in the, that you've done in the past. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's a great question. Uh, for me, it, it was definitely a lateral step, but the thinking is very much the same. Um, instead of working in product teams and working with the medium of of pixels and screens and and navigation structures and things like that as as the the medium of of what you're building, what you're trying to create. I'm uh, a lot more on the relationships side of things, uh, email campaigns, but also education webinars um, and and things like that. So I'm I'm part of the I'm part of the overall service experience at Mural, um, but I'm not on I'm not part of the product experience. Uh, very often we talk about user experience and the product experience, which is wildly important, of course. Mm. Um, but that is contained in a, in a broader brand experience or customer experience, as we call it there. Um, so I, uh, I, I'm leveraging a lot of the, the thinking and a lot of the things that I've learned um, in my career on the, on the product side, on the digital product side of things, but in, in new ways. So it, there, was, there was some learning and I'm um, you know, still trying to figure some of those things out. But um, I actually find that it's very comfortable position because I'm, I'm able to leverage um, a lot of the principles, a lot of the thinking, a lot of the thought that, that, I, that I learned on the product side of things. That makes a lot of sense. And in fact, I, I don't, I think I have, you know, sort of a parallel uh, story, in, especially in starting Aurelius, you know, there was a lot of things when we, when we started our company that I had no idea how to do, particularly marketing, which it actually sounds to me like a lot of your current activities might be classified as marketing. And, um, and truth be told, you know, a long time ago, <laughs> back when I was also sort of on the, on the agency and like client service side of the world, uh, I used to think marketing was kind of bullshit, right? Uh, because I ever thought everything was everything was the product experience. That's what mattered most. And I found as well that the way I thought about problem solving uh, translated very well into marketing challenges and, and sort of targets that you're trying to hit there. And then reality of it is, uh, and I'd love to hear your perspective on this. Yeah. Marketing actually serves that function. Marketing done well actually serves yeah. that function, but just in a different way. Yeah. But, you know, the word the word marketing, I think, is a little bit loaded because we think of marketers and mm. people who are just trying to. <laughs> squeeze the market for a little bit more and, you know, appeal to people, manipulative. There, there's, there, couldn't, there can be some negative baggage uh, and a very narrow-minded narrow perspective of marketing. But I see marketing as everything, you know, post-launch on the, basically everything on the customer experience side once it's out there. And, and what I do, you know, from the broadest sense of the term, what I do is very much marketing. Talk about customer marketing, content marketing, things like that. I approach it, my role right now, very much education, training and coaching standpoint too. Um, the way that I like to think about it is our tool, um, you know, there are ones and zeros in a database and, and we can get pixels to do something on your screen, right? And that's all great. It needs to be it needs to be good. But that gives our customers a superpower, a superpower that they may not know how to leverage and wield. Um, and I like to I like to um, you know think that I fill that I fill that gap that you have you have a product in, in the market and there's a gap between you know what, it, what the potential of that product has. Um, and a lot of that is around um, handholding or education, partnerships as well too, co-creating, um, things like that. So it's an, it's an extension of the, of the product thinking. And I really see it as, as a layer of experience on top of the product experience. Um, 
and it was really interesting for me because again, a lot of the principles that I learned on the product development side of things, I'm, I'm applying and I'm seeing both how important everything that I talked about as a UX designer actually is because that has effects all the way out in, into the market on the go-to-market side of it. But at the same time, uh, how, how sometimes narrow-minded um, feels like UX and UX research can be, that there, there is more beyond that as well too. So it's broadened my horizons reinforced the, the importance of what I had done in my career before, but also showed that there, there is more to it. And I think a lot of people in our field, I, I think we need to get out there. And, you know, your story, Zach, was great that, you know, once, oh, wait, there, there, there is all this other thing, uh, you know, beyond just what, what we're concerned. I think getting into that, I, I, I think that's helpful, super helpful for me, I know. And I would encourage other folks to kind of get out and, and see other sides of marketing and other sides of the business. I love it. I couldn't agree more. It, it's one of those things where, yeah, it was it was like a light bulb that went off, and I said, <clears throat> I understand now what marketing is supposed to be. I definitely yeah. had, uh, I definitely had this colored perspective, uh, perhaps by some of the bad actors that that you've mentioned, and yeah. it's kind of like you get, you know, if you think about yeah. what a used car salesman looks like or right. does, and yeah. then all of a sudden you get this bad, you know, this bad idea of of who that person is, um, and and you're absolutely right until you have to do it, and you go, actually, this is this is a thing that serves a purpose of this other world that's very, very important to me. So maybe UX and design, right? And yeah. if those two things don't work well together, you don't have a successful product and company. It's just, it's just the truth of the matter. Um, one of the things that you mentioned in there that uh, you know, people can be sort of narrow-minded, particularly even with like the research and stuff that they do, I'd love to hear a, a little bit more of your sort of your opinion and, and, and revelations on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just for me, it's, you know, it's being closer to, uh, you know, leadership team and being closer to things like uh, funding, like we're, we're a startup, right? Mm -hmm. um, and some, and, you know, some, sometimes, particularly when you're an individual contributor, a decision comes down and you're like, where the heck did that decision come from? And, you know, just being closer to some of the other, uh, other types of decision making, not other types of decision, but there's other there are other perspectives on the business on why decisions get made. And I think being exposed to some of that, you know, partnerships, you know, why are, why are partnerships important for, for a business? Uh, again, all these kind of more, much more relationship like um, decision making uh, situations that a business is also in. Um, then, then you start, you start seeing a, there's a different business logic. That's not just as um, that's not just as, as narrow-minded as sometimes we, we like to think. And I know as a UX designer, you know, 15 years ago, I would pound my fist on the table and said, they don't get it. It, you know, first of all, it's they, it's not mm -hmm. they, it's us. Mm -hmm. uh, and they don't get it. Well, actually they do get it. They're, they're just saying that their thing is more important than your thing right now. And you know what? I'm starting to find out a lot of the, the right a lot of the time as well too. So instead of just, you know, complaining about they don't get it, it's like, well, you got to understand what they're, what, what, why they're doing that. Yeah, I no again, again, everything you said, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, uh, a talk that I've been giving recently so very strongly advocates that. Okay, so let me just let's just back up. Uh, I've been there, and I got to believe that a lot of that resonates with a lot of people. Pounding your fist on the table, what's the deal? You don't get it. You don't get design. You know, in air yeah, quotes. Yeah. Um, and the problem there is that, again, as you've said, it's not that they or whoever doesn't yeah. get it. It's that we haven't done a good enough job of understanding how what we do fits this larger need. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so this talk I give Jim yeah. is, is, is about selling your ideas, which is, yeah. which is actually a total, I mean, well, 
I'm going to be giving it uh, in the future. So for anybody listening to this, it is a, it is a, it is a clickbait title. But let me just tell you, uh, the substance behind it is very good because it's not actually about selling anything. Selling right. your ideas effectively is being able to very well understand the people you're working with and for. That's how you're most successful in doing that. And then, yeah. you know, and actually, interestingly enough, once you do that, you start to see how your role and design can fit yeah. those needs better rather yeah. than rather than taking a, a sort of combative or, or yeah or yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah a combative stance i i spent a large part of my career in a combative stance with pms with engineers with marketing people with with sales people you know and and um and it didn't serve me it didn't serve me well it, it actually just it was actually a disservice because then then that that kind of shoeboxed a lot of the things that i was talking about when it should have been reversed that i should have been bringing people in on the one hand, but also doing a lot more outreach and, and you know, trying to have more empathy for what they're trying to, you know, have, have empathy. You know, we talk about having empathy for the users. Why don't you have empathy for the other roles in, in, your, in your business, right? Bingo. That's, yeah. that's a huge one. And uh, I don't know what this, this is at least the 10th episode after the fact that we recorded uh, with Christina Woodkey. Okay. So, and I continue using her quote. She said exactly that, that, so many designers out there uh, claim to have empathy for the people they, they design for, but almost none for the yeah. people they work with. Yeah. And, yeah. and therein lies the exact problem. And, that's, and that literally is the underpinnings of, uh, of, the, of the talk that I've been giving and the things that I'm passionate about, particularly because you're right, we, we do this work. And unfortunately, a lot of the time, um, perhaps this narrow mindedness of, of our industry as designers, we say, well, the way we're doing this is right. And that's actually correct. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's incomplete. Right. Yeah. And so, right. so we approach this work as, uh, if it's not this, it's not right, but we haven't understood the full picture of right. Yeah. Right. So, so I, I, you know, I, I agree. I agree. So, um, you know, back to your original question, I think kind of stepping out and moving laterally out of, um, a more, a more product centric role, you know, sprints and, and launches and all that kind of stuff and moving into, into a role that's much more closer to the, to the, to the market side of things. I think I think it's given me that that broader perspective. But again, it's also reinforced uh, a lot of the things that we that I said as UX designers. So fight for those things, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely hold your ground and don't give up for those small moments and all you know all the good stuff that we've learned over the past couple of decades about good UX design. You do need to fight for those things, but also be more open minded. Yeah, you know, and that's a really interesting point too, because uh, I, I think that that's important to keep in mind. You're right. While well, while it's very easy for us to sit here and criticize and say we need to be better, we need to we need to yeah, be yeah. more sort of inclusive and like open minded as to what's going on the, the bigger picture. Uh, it's absolutely true. At the same time, you still need to hold true and stand you know stand stand tall with those yeah. things that are very important. Do you do you have any advice for people on that and sort of you know hold holding 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 on to your roots where necessary, but then recognizing where you ought to be uh, a little bit more open minded and shift you know maybe your opinion on things. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's a good question. I, I think when you're in an organization, uh, large or small, there are uh, levels and different types of dysfunction. Um, and I don't want to say some organizations are more dysfunctional than the other. I always describe it as uh, the grass is never greener. It's just a different configuration of brown spots. So, um, but you have, a, you, have a you have a certain tolerance level with your configuration of brown spots. Um, and you need to have uh, some wherewithal to kind of stick, stick with it. Uh, because sometimes it's it's an elephant and you have to eat it you know one bite at a time and it's it's basically brick by brick and after a while you start looking down and you're saying I don't want this configuration of brown spots and then you and then you need to change organization 
and you think everything's going to be better, but then you have different challenges. Um, so, uh, you know, my, my advice is, well, the grass actually isn't greener. It, ne it never, ever, ever is. In my, in mm -hmm. my opinion, I've never switched jobs and said, oh, I got rid of all those problems. Oh, but wait, now I have the different ones, right? So yeah. you're, you're, you're always, uh, you know, you're always in this, in this kind of, um, particularly in larger organizations, this slow transformation role. And I, f I feel a lot of what, you know, design and, and UX is, is a lot of it is evangelizing. A lot of it is um, trying to, trying to convince other people that persuasion, that's, that's a big part of our job, I, I believe. And, you know, to be a designer, isn't just to be able to, uh, you know, manipulate things on screens. It's, you also have to then bring people into that world. And in a way, like you said, sell it. I mean, that's, that's a great word there or market. We can go back to marketing, mm -hmm. you know, how do, how do we market what we do? And I think we've been, uh, overall pretty bad actually, uh, at doing that. Um, and uh, basically, though, you need, you need to stick with it. I know Alan Cooper just wrote a piece. Uh, I don't know if you saw that thing where he basically says, if your managers don't get design, leave the org. And I'm thinking, I mean, I'm, 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 that's hyperbole there. But uh, that was one of the things that he mentioned. And it's like, well, is that the thing to do, though? Is it to run away or to stay? And that's, that's your battleground is to convince those managers, not convince them, but show them the value of what you do. Uh, I think that's, that has to be part of design, at least where it is right now, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, a very, very critical point. You know, interestingly, I, I can play both sides of that fence because I have very much given that advice. It sounds like maybe Alan has, but the, you know, in the right situation, if, it's, if yeah. it's a place where there's willful ignorance, right? Just willing to, to say, I, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care to understand design. Yeah. But if there's no openness to it, then I mean, maybe that's a place where you do walk away. But uh, I tend to err on the other side, which is where I think you're suggesting to say, yeah. well, have you understood what's important or, or, or valuable yeah. to them and help yeah. them see how design does that? Because if, if, if you can say in earnest that you've done yeah. that and you've tried to show them how your work actually enriches what they're trying to accomplish as well and then they still have closed mind to it yeah. well then then in my opinion they're just not smart business people right because i think yeah. any, anybody who's good in those roles is going to understand how design will impact and improve uh everything that we're trying to do there in that case you just don't want to be part of the sinking ship right uh, yeah, yeah no no totally you know, and i mentioned thresholds and everybody has their own thresholds so, so when i hear somebody say i've been in this company for five years and i gotta change i i get it you, you've been doing that brick lane, banging your head against the wall with that organization that's not willing and all those things that you just described, and, and you just can't do it anymore. That, that's fine, too. Um, but uh, I would say you got to give it a, a couple tries. You got you to gotta say, OK, I'm going to try this three times in three different ways. That might take a couple of years. You know? if, you, if you don't try, if you're basically just saying, these guys don't get it, I'm out of here and walk off the set, I don't think that's good for design overall. Because it's those people that need to be convinced. And part of our role is, is doing that persuasion, doing that convincing. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, even just to take a little bit more of a worldview on that, if all of us did it, nobody's going to get it. No company's going to get it. And then the next one you go right, to. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That, that, that's, that's the thing. You can't just say we're all running away because then it's just us talking yeah. to us. We're all, we're, yeah. We're all playing musical chairs. We're all going right, exactly. to these, to yeah, these right. shitty companies that where nobody, no, quote unquote, nobody gets it because none of us did the hard work. To had the, totally. Had the discipline totally. to do that. You yeah. know, this ties back into sort of where we started with this, Jim, and asking about how your transition into this different role and this, and this certainly leadership role uh, still in design, right? Um, and how that's changed, it makes me wonder, something I've been thinking about recently is, is there's these like levels of designer and, and 
I think people often wonder, like, how does somebody get to that level or that sort of place in an organization? Do you believe uh, my my I'm of the opinion recently that that happens when people are able to see that more that broader perspective to see how this actually fits into you know a larger puzzle rather than just design being right. I, I don't believe the most successful people in those leadership roles, like yourself, head of customer yeah. experience or whatever, um, are in that role just because they're good at fighting for design. I actually think that they're in the those roles and they graduate up into those because they're able to to help the entire company see yeah. how this enriches everything. That's the, I'm of that opinion recently. I'd be curious to hear your uh, thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I can't answer answer your prompt any better than you just said it right there. I I think that's 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 exactly that's exactly true is that um you know, the best design leaders don't have that super hyper microscopic uh I can do the best design uh, you know, this kind of RR myth of the Johnny Ives, you know, I just have to be a way, way, way better designer in that thing, you know, that 13 inch thing that I'm working on. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't believe that's true for 99.9% .9 of us mm -hmm. is that it, it is, it is that outward perspective that makes a, a good design. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I would argue that the best designers and i mean like applied designers doing the work making the thing right moving the pixels as you said yeah uh often those people do not graduate into these leadership roles because because they love the craft of it so much uh and they're so focused on that that they're not actually able to see this broader perspective it's not a bad thing because we need fantastic oh, oh i think it's a great designers. thing I, I i love working with people like that, that yeah. that's fantastic um put put your head down and, and create great shit you know yeah. that's that's wonderful. That's a career. Uh, it just wasn't my path. I, I just you know, knew that I was always way more interested in all kinds of other things going on around me um, as well, too, which isn't to say you can't be a leader uh, in, in that on the other side, on the craft side, because there are craft leaders as well, too. Mm -hmm. um, but then you're you're always going to have this organizational problem that we just talked about. So I think you need I think you need different types of leaders, right? You need that craft leader, but definitely for design to advance in general or in your organization or on your local project, there has to be somebody who's looking, who's more of the diplomat, the ambassador, looking out towards those other, uh, other aspects. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, sort of tying this, this piece of, uh, of our chat off, I'm curious, yeah. is there, is there anything, is there anything that's jumped out and surprised you in sort of holding this role, uh, you know, as opposed to maybe someone who does the applied design or does the craft? Is there anything that's jumped out to you uh, as you as like a, the biggest surprise or I did not expect to have to deal with this as often as, <laughs> as, as maybe I would have anticipated? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's a there's a couple things in in kind of the new stuff that I'm learning. But uh, the, honestly, you know, the first thing that popped into my mind was how right some of the things that the people in UX and user research fight for just how right and how impactful that can be, mm -hmm. actually. Um, Do you, you have know, an we example? talk about um yeah let's 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 look at an example um just a lot of like downstream friction right um you know it's 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 hard to prove the you uh, the roi of ux and design and things like that jared had a piece on that i think as well too yesterday or whatever uh and you try to put a dollar value to it and things like that which fine if that's what you need to do but um just seeing seeing how a, a small decision in the product can cause friction later on and friction on both the externally on the customer side of things in terms of causing a disruption or even bad will uh on the customer side of things but then the friction that that causes internally 
Now mm-hmm. support people or people on my team are now jumping around. And if there's a lot of that, there's a ton of friction and we're not able to do our job or a higher level thinking in our jobs because we're fighter firefighting. So there's this magnification of these small things. That's why I say fight for the small things in the product, because that could potentially get magnified and send several people or a dozen people into a tailspin of fire firefighting and friction because of something um, that's way down there. So this idea of kind of root cause, you know, like, well, let's, let's fix it at the root is very often uh, when I was on the product side, that was the root. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That makes, I mean, that makes a ton of sense. It's like uh, the, the little things are the big things, but we don't see that until all of a sudden you throw 10,000 people at it. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right on. And then, and then our support lines light up because of that. And my guys, my guys are like, we, we we have 40 messages in an hour or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you know, actually, I'm curious as a follow up question, uh, you know, how do you manage that then? How, what happens there? Right. Because there's, there's got to be some sort of feedback loop that comes back to yeah. address yeah. the root. Like, how do, how do you work with that? Yeah, I mean, it's feedback loop. And now now you're having uh, you now you're having a different discussion that leverages your sensibility, at least in my sense uh, case that leverages my sensibility on the design side of things. I'm using that logic to then re argue why that should be done on the other side of the feedback loop. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, but it definitely has to be a really good feedback loop. And there also has to be a will uh, as well, too. There has to be a will to, to, to go back to the root cause as well, too. Because sometimes it's okay, and I experienced this in my last job as well, too, that if there was a problem, then you fixed the first touch point with that problem rather than going all the way back to the root cause. So if something was causing more calls to the call center, okay, then we need to make the call center more op- um more efficient. Is it, <laughs> well, well, no, no. Why don't you fix the fix the root cause? Because yeah. I. Uh, but here, here's the thing: the the people who are saying let's fix, let's make the call center more efficient, they're saying that because that's the scope of what they do, and they also they also just assume or think that there's nothing that uh, there's nothing more that the product team or design team could do. They've done th- this is what we get from product, mm-hmm. and it's a static thing. But I know, obviously, you know, being in software design and on the design side of things that there's a ton of decisions that people made that went into the product that you could easily just re-decide those things mm-hmm. and it would be uh, smoother downstream. But a lot of folks downstream don't, re- don't understand that process. Um, so for me, looking back, looking backwards, I'm like, wow, we could do a lot more down there kind of thing. Uh, and it's interesting. So I try to stay close to the design team. We try to have uh, a good feedback loop as much as possible. Of course, I'm in a startup. We have like 50 people. It's way easier, you know, when you multiply that by 10 or 100 or 1,000, uh, uh, the feedback loop becomes really, really difficult. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I think, I mean, that's that's great because I don't think that there's any better example of how, if there is such a thing as design thinking, or at least, you know, just just, just design and in in the approaches we take, how yeah. that has a benefit and effect uh, for net positive in other areas of the business. I don't think that there's any better story than what you just shared because you could yeah. you know you know how that happened and you see how it applies right. to you know, sort of like your your link in the chain as to yeah if you got a if you got a leak in the roof you don't need a bigger bucket to collect the water you right need to right fix exactly. The leak. <laughs> exactly that's a great great metaphor yeah um but our businesses do that all the time they order order more bigger buckets mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. or or then they build a pipe so that it just goes you know right through the leak right up bad outside and then you have this house that looks like a frankenstein house uh, right, Mr. Potato Head. Your your service becomes Mr. <laughs> Potato Head because people are just putting buckets and pipes, and then it's a, well, just fix the roof. <laughs> right, exactly. 
Well, you know, it's, it's almost interesting, too, because we see that at least I know a lot of us saw that earlier on, uh, earlier on being maybe, say, five, 10 years ago. A lot of us uh, in the UX world, we were working on these projects of like uprooting this super old existing technology because of that very problem where yeah. if people were just sort of bolting things on where it was, you know, it was held together with uh, shoestrings and bubble gum. And then all of a sudden someone had to pay the piper and now we've got to redo the whole thing. And it was pretty right. painful. So. Yeah, it, I mean, it it gets painful. The whole relaunch thing. Anytime I heard the word relaunch or replatforming or that kind of thing, that basically means the organization built up too much debt, technical debt, UX debt, all all that debt. Um, and basically, you know, to, to avoid that is you got to be constantly fighting debt. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really glad you said that because one of the things I was going to ask is, <clears throat> okay, so great, you got to establish this feedback loop. How do we influence more of even those micro decisions every day? So that they don't amplify into, you know, all of a sudden yeah. the pipe running down the middle of the kitchen. Yeah, I mean that that's the that's the golden question. <laughs> um, uh, is uh, know your craft first of all, right? You got You got to know that. But I think I think you we also need to we also need to be able to contextualize our arguments from a different perspective, uh, because people uh, other folks aren't going to be thinking the same way that we're thinking. So you have to understand, uh, you know, it's it, it's not just it's not just empathy. It's it's really like what is that what is their motivation i guess that's empathy like looking at things through through their perspective how are they seeing the words coming out of your mouth and they're seeing that as uh, you know this is the guy that sits in the corner and finger paints and he's not telling me anything <laughs> that's of value you know so it's it's the ability to be able to shift shift your language and make things make arguments in a different way but but also to do to do to to make make convincing uh, outcomes of your work as well too and say uh, here look we did this and it had this effect uh, to be able to point back to it. really hard to do. It's it's tough. If tough question, if you hear me bumbling around here with this answer, it's because I don't know. That's the that's the golden question, Zach. Yeah. Well, well then we're just going to end the podcast. I, I figured you there had you the go. answer. Right. See you, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for coming. And we cue the outro music. There you go. Right. Yeah. No, it is. It is very tough. But I think um, while you might not proclaim to have the answer, I think your answers are very very useful for people to remember. Is that yes, being able to make that argument, or you know, as the way I've maybe talked about it, sell. You, you know, yeah. your decisions yeah. or recommendations from the perspective perfect that is not your own i think that that's that's, that's I'm, right yeah. i'm biased but i think that that's huge um it's certainly the way that i've found the most success in doing this work um you know so so much for all of that um shifting gears a little bit yeah author of mapping experience yeah uh tell us a little bit about that if somebody hasn't if somebody's not familiar with the book yeah, um, that's that's my second book uh, actually with O'Reilly. My first book was called Designing Web Navigation. Um, and that really reflects my background as an information architect, but also somebody who was focused on craft mm -hmm. at that time. I, you know, I, I just wanted to do uh, tough IA projects and navigation projects and things like that. Um, but that was 2007. And pretty much since then, I've, I have been looking at uh, some of these broader concerns that you and I just uh, talked about. Now, wh what are, what are, what's the marketing department doing? How do business people make their decisions? Um, and I, I, I came across this, uh, you know, this, this technique or types of techniques, I should say, around mapping um, and, and tried a bunch of things out. At the time, you know, customer journey mapping was floating out there. Um, I, I, I worked a lot with Indy Young's mental model diagrams. Uh, and then I came across this thing called service blueprinting. And I was, I, I was kind of spinning around. I was trying a lot of them. And, and I, had, I was in a very fortunate position where I, I did have the ability to to do some 
substantial projects in, in lots of those different areas. Um, but I started to realize that there was overlap and there was confusion and there really wasn't any like one thing where you could go and find out about mapping in general. Why do we do this? Why do we, why do we create these visual diagrams that we print out and put up on the wall mm -hmm. and then have a conversation around them? And well, it turns out, you know, this word experience is really, really fuzzy and hard to define, right? Hey, we're, we're experienced designers. We don't just move pixels. Okay, show me your experience. It's one way to make that tangible for folks, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Look, there, there, there's, this, there's these feelings that people have before they even come to your service. Uh, there's this emotional curve and they go up and down and then they make the decision and they feel like crap and afterwards or whatever that, you know, whatever that story might be. So it's a, it's a, it's a type of storytelling that I found actually was a way for me, it was a way for me to have these conversations that we just talked about in the first part of the podcast with other folks mm -hmm. because it, 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 it kind of opened up. It opened up where, you know, where I was coming from, from a designer focus on crap. It kind of opened it up. And now, now we're talking about people and human beings and, and, and all of your customers and, and, you know, things like that. And it was a way for me to, uh, to actually, you know, kind of, kind of bring in, uh, other folks from the organization. It was like a, it was like a centripetal force. It was like a magnet. Uh, and it was this thing that you can put up on the wall and, and get around like a campfire, right? So yeah. then, you, then you'd have this campfire, but you're sitting there at a campfire with marketing and, and uh, uh, business decision makers and, and, and other you know, PMs and engineers and folks that we've worked with. But we're not just talking about let's launch the thing or you know, let's design the thing or let's build the thing. We're talking about you know, why are we doing this? How does this fit into a bigger context? So, so for me, um, mapping was my gateway into this, you know, this, these other types of conversations that I needed to have that you and I were talking about. Um, but it was a way, it, it, was, it, was a, it also leveraged my skills as an IA, a lot of structure, um, as a user researcher, having empathy for people. And, mm -hmm. and it kind of really combined a, a, lot of, a lot of my previous skills. And, and, and I wrote the book to really just kind of make sense of what I saw in, in, in this area with all these different terms techniques. And I, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and I just wanted to share all the mistakes that I made and say, here's how I put all of this together, mm -hmm. the techniques, and then brought that into an organization and use that to facilitate these conversations. And I just want to put that down. And that's the book. Yeah. Okay. 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 That's, I mean, that's really interesting too. I, I appreciate your candor to be able to say here, I, I wanted to be able to share all the mistakes that I made because, uh, you know, rather than trying to give everybody this this shiny polished thing of, of well, here's your blueprint. Here's here's the way you do it. Actually, here's here's all the things that you ought, ought not to do to hopefully, you know, you can learn to to do that better. I'm curious if uh, if somebody were to ask you, well, then what are the fundamentals? What are the basic building blocks of doing this really well? I mean, how would you answer that? Um, well, in, in a couple of ways. I mean, I think there are there are some there are some principles that, that I like to talk about. Um, and, and then I also I also uh, broke up. Uh, the technique into four different phases. And that's how, if I give a workshop, basically talk about how you initiate a project and how you do the research and then how you put it together and then how you engage other people. But I think for me, all, you know, all of it to answer, to answer your question really succinctly, it's really about engaging other people that so many people focus on the deliverable, mm -hmm. whether that's a persona or something else, but you know, in the term, in terms of mapping and experience mapping and things like that, there's, there's this focus on the, th the thing. It's like, I want to, I want to make a map. That is not your goal. Mm -hmm. The goal is to have a conversation. 
the goal is to convince other people. So it's not about the map, the noun. It's about mapping the verb. Yes. Um, and, uh, you know, I talk, I talk a lot about you have to take your map maker hat off. And that map maker hat is really important because you want valid research. You want a compelling visualization and all that stuff. So it has to be a solid map. But you have to take your map maker hat off and become a facilitator. So uh, a lot of what we were talking about also earlier points to a shift, I think, or not a shift, but in addition to the designer toolkit, which is designer as crafter, but designer as facilitator as mm -hmm. well, too. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I found myself. I was in far more facilitation rule, uh, roles uh, and really trying to lead conversation, um, not, not just peg for conversation, but I was now leading the, the more strategic conversations as well, too. So my, my, my overall bottom line message is um, make, it, make it an engaging, collaborative uh, experience mm -hmm. uh, over time to, 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 to talk about what's represented in, in, in something like a journey map or an experience. Yeah, that's, that's really, really wonderful. Um, I, particularly the part where you're saying like creating the map is not your goal. That's not the outcome. That doesn't give you the win. Well, yeah. what gives you the win or, or the successful outcome is having a conversation that leads you to the right place. And yeah. I would argue that that is true of everything we do in design. I uh, agree. Yeah, yes, I, I'll agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because, you know, back again, back in the day when we did a lot of wireframes and all this stuff, right? Like, especially when we were on the, I mean, you said you, you know, you used to be on the client service side and working yeah. with uh, customers in that case, we always thought that these documents we made or these decks or everything else they were these like canonical documents that people were going to yeah. put, you know, hang up on their wall and talk. That never happened. Um, they ended yeah. up in the trash. What was right. important was that they were a means, to your point, of facilitating yeah. a conversation that took us to the next step because that was that was the real goal or outcome. And I would say the method around a lot of those things too was a black box. So I remember doing wireframes like I'd get a bunch of requirements in whatever form that was from the client. And then two weeks later, I, I come back and go, ta-da, and here's a deck of wireframes. And you're like, where did these come from? I didn't, you know, not, not built here. These aren't mine, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so what, you know, going back to the mapping example, what, what I suggest is, you know, you're initiating the project and you're trying to define the various facets and aspects of maps and where it begins and ends and that kind of thing. Do that with your client. You're doing the investigation. Do that with your client. Uh, you're visualizing it. Do that with your client. So it's it's all it's the methods that I think we need to open up and be less black boxy. Yeah, yeah, that's a really big deal. I think particularly with research, because um, research, at least for me, in, in the most basic form, is it's really it's getting us answers to questions that we don't have answers to today, right? To make better decisions about whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. If you start answering questions that people don't know they had, yeah, they're less they're less likely yeah. to listen to what the answers lead them to. Totally. You know, so to your point, yeah, like bringing the methods, just sort of saying, well, here's, here's what I think that we need to know to make a better decision yeah. about this, to have a better conversation about this. If everybody can agree to that, we can go, you know what? I know how to help get us that answer. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's do that. Do we all agree that that would be helpful if we had an answer to that question? Yeah, awesome. Right, exactly. Don't yeah. worry, I'll take that away. We'll, we'll do that. We'll come back with an answer and then we'll talk about what that means. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I'll definitely agree on particularly from the research perspective um, as well, too. I think the really powerful thing there, too, is if you have this, you know, open engagement, collabor collaborative uh, kind of mindset when you when you approach any project, persona project, a research project, a mapping project, a wireframe project. Um, I think what that what that opens up is the opportunity for folks inside of your organization to get contact with customers. Um, mm -hmm. I, I always say that I've been fortunate because I've always been in, in, in roles 
where I get to sit next to people and watch them use our products and services, or I get to talk to people on the phone um, out, uh, uh, you know, out there, both as a designer and now, particularly now in my current role, that you know, I'm right out there with with our customers. Um, think about how many people in your organization never ever talk to a customer, right? Yeah. It's a lot when you when you think about you know engineers and and operations people and things like that. But if you're thinking about a, a research effort or a mapping effort more as a, a means or a, a possibility for people to get exposure, direct exposure to customers. Um, I, I think that that's as healthy as just saying we're doing research. Yeah, no question. Well, and, and I think the fundamental point there too is nature abhors a vacuum. So in lack of customer contact, we create these movies in our head of what's probably yeah. happening for customers. And we make decisions based on that because yeah, yeah. you know the show will go on. <laughs> decisions yeah, will yeah. get made whether or not they're informed by something yeah. we actually have learned about the people we're building stuff for or not. I've literally had situations where I had a fairly high level stakeholder come out to me with me on one customer interview and he realized the film in his head was completely wrong. He really? was in the wrong film, yes. And it was just from one person, not that the quantitative sample size meant anything to him, but what he learned in terms of that guy's logic, the customer's logic, he, and he thought, wow, if there's even a fraction of people out there that think that way, and he extrapolated and said, actually, that's how that work gets done. It, well, our solution isn't what I, what I built it up to be in my own head with my own marketing. Film, that's right? really fascinating. Is yeah. there any more detail you can share around that and, that's, uh, and how, that, how that played out? Probably not, but um, uh, I have this interesting uh, kind of mental hobby where um, I, I'm trying to collect these uh, sample size of one use cases. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's the famous, you know, the OXO uh, potato peelers and the OXO, uh, the Good Grips uh, brand. Oh, okay, sure. Um, that they, that the, the story goes that the founder uh, created a potato peeler because I, he was watching, I believe it was his wife who had arthritis try to peel a potato with... Um, with a regular potato peeler. And he said, well, this should be more ergonomic for her. So this whole line of ergonomic uh, kitchen tools came out, sample size one, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it, so it's not the sample size, it's the logic to say, oh, wait a minute, uh, kitchen utensils are not ergonomic. Therefore, uh, there might be a market opportunity if we make ergonomic kitchen utensils, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, another, one, another example uh, that, I, that I keep in my <laughs> mind is uh, apparently Jeff Bezos saw uh, someone opening uh, packaging once, uh, you know, like clamshell packaging and things that you need like a, a chainsaw to open up. You, mm -hmm. We've all been frustrated with package rage, right? <clears throat> um, and then he developed this program. And I think you can still find it on the on the Amazon website or against packaging rage. Right? I, I forget what exactly the program is, but the point is he, he saw one person and said, this has got to change, right? So mm -hmm. very often it's not the sample size, it's the logic and the rationale that you gained from a sample size of one, right? Just to say, hey, I, I have the wrong film in my head. On people buy stuff from Amazon, they open it up and they're joyful. It's like people buy stuff from Amazon they, and they get it home and they can't open it up. You know, yeah. well, if that happens even a fraction of the time, that's not a good experience. Right, right, right. That is that is really really interesting. Cool. Yeah. Well, Jim, uh, we're coming up towards uh, towards the end okay. of our time here, and I and I'm quite sure that if we don't stop, we can go for a whole another hour. But I want to be respectful <laughs> of that for you. Yeah. Um, as we're sort of wrapping things up here, one of the things that I've been starting to do with uh, with each of our guests is ask them this question, which is, you know, if I were to have de developed temporary amnesia and I forgot everything we talked about, what what's the salient point? What's the one most important thing that you f you feel like people should really take away from our conversation? 
Right. Um, you, you know, I think uh, particularly if, if you're on the research or the design side of things, it, it, it is to fight for those things that you believe the, this, because small moments do matter in general mm-hmm. in life. But um, they, 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 the things that you're, the, the things that you care about do matter um, on the one side. So this is kind of a two-sided coin here on, on the one side. On the, on the other side, um, there are other uh, reasonable and important perspectives in an organization that makes a business move mm-hmm. um, that will be different from yours. And rather than uh, resisting those other perspectives is uh, we need to go out and learn more about that mm-hmm. um, so that we can that we can position our value, our, you know, our benefit. Uh, be able to position that in 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 different ways to to, to different people at at different times. Um, so also also be a lot more open minded. So stick to your guns, but but be way more open minded. Yeah, I love it. Uh, when you come across those uh those those points of resistance or people maybe who don't get it, lean into it rather than rather than build yeah. a wall up against it. And, and lean into it in a collaborative way. Like don't be combative. I was way too combative in most of my career. Um, and it, it, it just served me. Yeah, that's, I think that's great. I think that's very, very good advice. Um, I'm curious, is there anything that you'd like to share with folks listening that maybe we haven't talked about in the show? Yeah. I mean, you know, in my, in my current role, uh, as head of customer experience at, uh, Mural, uh, again, Mural is an, is an online whiteboard. We're really looking at the, um, kind of the, the, the the problem space of of digital collaboration. I think a lot of the work that we do, particularly when you think about workshops and design sprints and things like that, it's it it to some degree it's uh, and I'll say it, it's stuck in the past, right? It's 2018, and we're putting very important thoughts and information on sticky notes on on walls and rolling up butcher paper and sending that across the country. Can't tell you how many times after a workshop I've rolled things up, stuffed them in my suitcase. And said, "Oh, this is important information. If it's important information, it's gonna be, it's gonna end up digital, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, I th- I think we need to, you know, talk about digital transformation, which is a total buzzword, of course. But I think, you know, design research, we need to think about how we're gonna transform a lot of our what we do. Um, and Mural is there, and I I I totally believe, uh, you know, as 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 a designer myself, but now someone who's a, a vendor, a service provider in solutions for." Digital collaboration. Um, I, I believe that in in the in the very very near future, we're going to be working a lot a lot more digitally in general. Um, and that there's tons of advantages there as well too. And, and you know, and by digitally, I mean uh, you know doing five day design sprints without a scrap of paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe I believe that's absolutely feasible. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only feasible, but there's there's benefits to it. That you're what what we're going to say is, ooh, that workshop's too important. We better do it digitally, or even we better do it remote. <laughs> to be honest mm. with you, um, so uh, I'm, I'm focused a lot on distributed teams and remote work as well too. It, it's a it's a soft skill, it's a softer side of of what we do, but I think it's going to be more and more important for folks to be able to have the skills to be able to survive if they're not face to face. Yeah, yeah. Well, we already see a trend moving in that way, so I think that the uh, I think your inclination is probably accurate. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and and I'm here to say it's all possible for the for those naysayers that that's impossible. No. It is possible, and there's tons of benefits as well too, and I'm seeing all of those. So uh, I'm happy to share share more about that if if anybody wants to 
contact me. I, I love talk, talking about that topic as well. Awesome. Well, I was, was going to ask is uh, if people want to get in touch with you and, and uh, continue this conversation, maybe ask some questions, how can they do that? Yeah, sure. So I'm out there on Twitter. It's at Jim Callback, no space, no dot, just at Jim Callback. Uh, I have a blog um, that I that typically just makes me feel guilty about myself because <laughs> I don't post there, you know, blog guilt. Um, but it's experiencinginformation.com, a pretty long URL, experiencinginformationoneword.com. I have a thing there where you can contact me as well, too. Um, but, my, you know, I'm happy to give my email address or find me on LinkedIn, uh, first of all, as well, too. Um, but my email address is jim.callback at gmail.com. Okay. We can make sure we have links to all those things. Yeah, yeah. Throw, throw well. that up there. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jim, this has been uh, a very energetic and very awesome uh, conversation we've had with you. And I appreciate you taking the time. I, I appreciate you asking me. Thanks so much. Absolutely. All right, everybody. We will see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving us a rating on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to our podcast. And also, you can fill out our podcast survey where you can let us know if someone awesome that we should have on the show and even tell us about the things you would want to hear about, topics that are interesting for you. You can check that out in the show notes or on our website. Thanks for listening to the Aurelius Podcast the show where we talk with brilliant minds about user research, UX design, and building great products that meet the needs of real people and what you learned about them. Aurelius is a user research and insights tool for design and product teams. Aurelius helps you add, tag, organize, search, and share all of your user research notes and customer feedback insights to figure out what you learned faster and easier than ever before so you can make awesome designs, products, and features. Check us out for a free trial at AureliusLab.com. That is A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. Or find us on Twitter at Aurelius. We'll see you next time.